Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are excited to chat with all of y'all about the Ken Paxton impeachment trial. So for those who've been listening, we have been talking about the 88th legislative session and a lot happened from January to May of 2023. The legislature gaveled out and then they gaveled back in and then they gaveled out and then they gaveled back in and then they gaveled out and now they're back for the impeachment trial. So we were like, hey, since they're back, we should come back with information about this topic because it's timely, it's important, and it's complicated. So we're going to try our best to explain what's happening. It's a lot, right, Nicole. It is a lot. It's it is worthy of of popcorn. <laughs> Sit back and eat your popcorn. It's entertaining, and yet it's also quite serious. So it has all the elements. Yes, it's interesting. And if you've been listening to the show, we talked a little bit about setting the stage for the impeachment trial in our last episode. And something that we were talking about was how rare these impeachment trials are. It's a little bit of a unique thing. I think you can <laughs> feel that when they have the moments of pause. I mean, granted, this is only day two, but I really could feel that as I was watching yesterday, whenever an objection would come up, it it felt like everybody was sort of looking at each other like, okay, how do we handle this? Okay, what do we do? My heart goes out a little bit actually to Dan Patrick because he's not an attorney. So I think I know what I know about being in a trial situation is what I learned from watching Law and Order. <laughs> so I have some sense of these things, but I'm certainly not an attorney nor a judge. I could be reading into things, but I felt like a lot of times he was like, oh boy, that's my job now. I have to rule on this objection. And he does, of course, have an advisor that sits right next to him. But you know, you could feel that this is rare and that there, there's a lot of people figuring it out as they're going along. Yes, that reminds me. <laughs> um, I think I've shared on the podcast that I became the president of a nonprofit foundation and I'm in charge of imposing these rules like Robert's rules of order. But yes, in the beginning, you're just like, how do I say it? Is that right? And I, and I imagine he's going through the same thing because if you've never experienced it before, if those words haven't come out of your mouth, you're like very like... <laughs> You don't move well in the beginning, but you got to work that muscle a little bit. And also so, imagine yeah. knowing that it's live streamed and that thousands of people are watching it. That <laughs> and a lot of the people involved in this case are attorneys. So you have attorneys questioning attorneys like that knowledge is extensive and to not have it would be so intimidating. And you're in charge. You're in charge of the show. I shouldn't call it the show, but the trial. <laughs> it feels like a show at times, but yes, it is officially a trial. We will try to have some gravitas for this moment, but giggling a little bit, but also taking it seriously. <laughs> All of the things. Yes. So to back up just a little bit, the impeachment trial for Ken Paxton started Tuesday, September 5th. So this has just gotten underway. 
And as I've been trying to research and understand what's happening here, I caught a news clip and there was a recording of Senator Roland Gutierrez talking about the trial. And he said that they anticipate it's going to be lasting four to six weeks. So they are in for the long haul. This is going to be, well, anticipated to be a very long trial. Uh, and I also read, I'm not sure how true this is, but I'll say it anyway, that when Dan Patrick shared this information with the other senators, there was an audible groan. I think it was setting in like, we are going to be in Austin at the Capitol present for this case, not in our home districts, not doing the things we've been planning to do. We are here and we have to hunker down and see this through, see this case through. And obviously this is only the second day, um, but I will say that if I knew I was going to be doing that for weeks on end, having to sit and listen to this testimony and watch this questioning, I would groan too. I have to be honest. I, it is a historical moment. It's important to watch, but I am feeling a little fortunate right now that I can tune into the live stream when I want to check it out. I can tune back out. I can read an article. I can watch clips. I don't have to sit at a desk and watch the whole thing because, wow, that would be difficult. I really would. Mm -hmm. it, yes, yes. So let's do some quick little recaps about the case. Ken Paxton has been impeached by the Texas House of Representatives. So now he's going before the Senate and they're going to decide if they are will be convicting him of the charges and also if he will be barred from ever running for office again in Texas. So those are the things that they're considering. So there's 31 senators in Texas, one of which will not be voting because she is married to Ken Paxton. Angela Paxton will not be voting, but she will be present. She will be there. She has been there. Now, there needs to be a two-thirds majority in order for him to be convicted and or be removed or not removed, but he can't ever run again for office. And that ends up being 21 votes. Is that the math? 21 votes? Yes. That's a lot. That's a very high bar that has to be passed. So, And just a little side we, note, people may already be putting this together, but in terms of that two-thirds threshold, they still count Angela Paxton in the total number, even though she isn't allowed to vote. Oh, thanks for saying that. I wasn't sure about that. Yes. It's a little odd to me, but the rules are the rules and those are the rules they made. Yeah. Well, and behind the scenes, they're already tallying up who's going to land where. And one of the first sort of litmus tests that was thrown out to the senators was they, the attorneys for Ken Paxton said that we want to vote to just dismiss all the charges altogether. Let's just see where everyone lands. And six Republicans voted to dismiss all charges. So there's already six folks who are going to need some intense convincing to vote to convict Ken Paxton and have him never serve again in office. Who knows what will happen over the course of these four to six weeks? That sort of shows where like the players are on the board, so to speak. Yes. It, yeah, it's already been really interesting. And I guess that's that was to be expected that their first move, Paxton and his team's first move would be to just dismiss all the charges. I would imagine everyone saw that coming and you know, much to their dismay, the charges were not dismissed. Paxton's two attorneys are Tony Busby and Dan Cogdell. And boy, oh boy, they are both characters. 
They have both been interesting to watch. They're very theatrical and pretty bombastic and they're not playing around. They are bringing the energy. <laughs> they are, they're showing that they are angry and that they are offended by these charges being brought against Attorney General Ken Paxton. They're here to fight. So that was the first move was right, trying to dismiss the charges. But then once all the the 16 articles, then he had to plead to each one of the charges. And at first, Busby was like making these sort of miniature speeches after each charge was read. He would say, he is absolutely not guilty of this charge. So we plead not guilty. Or this charge is absolutely untrue and we will show you with evidence. And he pleads not guilty after every single charge until finally Daguerrean, Dick Daguerrean on the prosecution side objected. And so then finally it just became a very succinct not guilty when each charge was read. So coming out of the gate, it was quite quite the theatrical moment from these folks. Yeah, it seems strange to me, too, that Ken Paxson wasn't speaking for himself. Maybe this is not strange, but I thought it was unusual that he wasn't saying not guilty out of his own mouth. But maybe he was setting the stage for something else, which let's bring this up, that once those moments happened, there was a break taken we've not seen Ken Paxton again. So once questioning began and the trial was more traditionally underway, he hasn't been present. So maybe that was our sort of preparation to realize that we are not going to hear his voice. Oh, because by the way, it was also ruled that he is, cannot be compelled to testify. So we will likely, I mean, unless they surprise us with that, we won't hear from Ken Paxton. And yes, we have not heard a word. We saw him at the beginning, and apparently that was in the rules, but it's not in the rules that he has to attend, and it looks as if he's not going to. This is all bizarre. I thought it was very weird that he, this is about you, and you're not even there. I would like, I mean, you would want to hear what everyone is saying. I would also, I assumed, granted, assumptions are never wise to make, that because he's an attorney, he would want to hear the testimony and help to build his case. I thought he would want to be present to coach his attorneys if he felt like the questioning wasn't quite getting to what he would imagine would be the best way to defend himself, but apparently not. He's content to leave it in their hands. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm curious, you know, what Tuxen's take on this. And I also saw in some news reports that Texans really aren't paying attention to this. So who knows? what the sentiment will be statewide. But it gives me this impression that he's above it. Like, I don't need to be there. I got better things to do. It's like, um, but this is an impeachment trial for you specifically. And part of the problem with his conduct and, and some of the reasons the attorneys even brought up their concerns about his office is that he was acting above the law. So I'm like, why are you acting like you're above the law and you're not present for your own trial? There's so many eyebrow raising things about this. Yes, agreed. Oh, yeah. Here, this is Texas for you. <laughs> so, most recently, who they've been interviewing, the witness that has been on the witness stand has been Ken Paxton's former top assistant, Jeff Mater. Mater. 
A tear. Thank you. I just heard it in in the trial. That's the only reason I know how to pronounce it. Yes. And from what I gathered about Jeff Mateer is that he was very concerned about Nate Paul, this top donor. Nate Paul? Correct. About the top donor who is giving a lot of money to Ken Paxton, about Ken Paxton showing way too much favor on Nate Paul, about him making moves that favored this particular person and using the office of the attorney general to provide favors and favoritism. And it's, yeah, that that's, what did you get from the testimony so far? I will say that if we were to just summarize the defense, what we saw in opening statements, what it, it looks like they're going to use as the defense for the charges. It is essentially that this trial is undoing democracy because voters voted for Ken Paxton, knowing that he was in some legal troubles. And so this is anti-democratic. That's one of their arguments. Another argument is that this is this sort of with a capital D democratic conspiracy type situation and that he is being targeted because he's such a stalwart conservative. That's another part of his defense. And so it is really interesting that the first person that's called is this Jeff Mateer because he was very high up in the attorney general's office. And a lot of the things, a lot of the arguments that we heard in the opening statements of the defense are already undercut simply by having Jeff Mateer testify first because Jeff Mateer is not part of the whistleblower lawsuit. So you can't claim that he has some sort of revenge, you know, because he was fired. He wasn't fired. He resigned actually and was not part of the whistleblower lawsuit. So that falls apart. The other thing about Jeff Mateer is that he is very widely known to be deeply principled and very conservative. Very, very, very. So there is no way that you can have any sort of a charge against him that he's some sort of like secret liberal or that he's a rhino, you know, this Republican in name only label that people like to use. You can't attach that to him. So a lot of the pieces that we've seen the defense lay out in terms of their strategy for how to fight this really fall apart when it comes to Jeff Mateer. And so it's been really interesting watching the questioning that has happened. So we already saw the prosecution's questioning of Jeff Mateer. And... <laughs> That was also interesting. Oh, and I think I said Dick DeGuerin earlier is who we've heard from. That's wrong. I'm sorry. That's Rusty Hardin that we've heard from. Mm -hmm. It is Dick DeGuerin and Rusty Hardin that are on the prosecution side, but we've heard the voice of and we've seen Rusty Hardin. So I apologize for that. Anyway, watching Rusty Hardin question Jeff Mateer was, there were some comical moments, I will just say. Yeah. I caught just leading up to when we turned on the microphone, I was watching a little bit of, I think it was Tony Busby questioning Jeff Mateer and Ooh. the line of, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around, like, what is he getting at? And it seems like he's trying to say, what's the process like in the office of the, of the attorney general? Are you like, who's at the top of the 
chain, so to speak. And it's like, it's the attorney general. However, which is what Je Jeff Mateer was saying, there are protocols in place and our funding comes from the legislature. So yes, he's at the top, but there are still mechanisms to check the power balance. And what I was taking away is that Tony Busby was trying to say, no, attorney general Ken Paxton is the decider. He is the end all be all. His way is the way. And that's that. So it's weird because it's like, so can he do no wrong ever? I ha my mind was like, I don't understand. Are you saying he's he is above the law because he's the attorney general? It's did, did you strange. Catch any of that? No, I see exactly what you are pointing to. Yes. Tony Busby, first of all, it is very combative the way that he yes. is questioning Jeff Mateer. It's drastically different it's rude. than what it was with Rusty Hardin. <laughs> I mean, Rusty Hardin, although it wasn't palsy wowsy, I will say that. In fact, you can tell that Rusty Hardin has a very, his style from my observation is that he very much wants to be in control of the questioning. So if at any point he felt like Jeff Mateer was stepping on his words, he would be like, wait, 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 don't answer until I'm finished. And I won't do that to you. He said that several times, but it was definitely it was not combative in the way that it is with Tony Busby. Tony Busby is not playing with Jeff Mateer, and it feels often unnecessarily combative to the point where it honestly, I felt stressed, very stressed yeah, out. Yeah, I was like kind of bullying. Like, okay. Well, and what I have to give Jeff Mateer a ton of credit for is that he's very, he's calm. He definitely. He's calm and yet isn't uh, sinking. Like he he doesn't, he's not weak. He um, is very much answering the questions and isn't falling into what often feels like traps that Tony Busby is trying to, to lay. So yes, I agree with what you said about what it seems like Tony Busby is trying to get out of Jeff Mateer. I think he's also trying to do some sort of establishing that that they did a lot of inroads around Ken Paxton that essentially like what you're saying, they didn't respect his authority. And so they did all these other things to try to get around Ken Paxton, like contacting the FBI. And he's trying to make it seem like they could have just asked Ken Paxton and all of the things that they assumed, all of those questions would have been answered. It's like, he's really wanting to, oversimplify or simplify the whole thing down to, if you had just simply asked, you would have found out that all of your assumptions were wrong. Mm -hmm. But what he's ignoring is the context of it all. And so, but of course, you know, he's doing the questioning. So I think it's hard for Jeff Mateer to give him that context fully. And the context is that they did talk to him. They had been trying to talk to him all along. They had been warning him about how his behavior and his actions appeared that he's favoring someone and doing things that are out of the typical realm of the office for this one particular person that he's never done before. So Jeff Mateer is trying to also like inform him, no, 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 no. I did go around him because at first I was pointing all of these things out and I was not getting answers. And I, and essentially it seems like what he's saying is I had no choice but to believe that there was something nefarious going on. I mean, he said he he legitimately believed that he was being blackmailed 
by Nate Paul. Mm. He said that is what his behavior led him to believe. He genuinely believed that. He said those words. Yeah. I can't imagine being put in a position like that. Like you're just trying to do your job in an attorney general's office and your boss is putting you in a compromise. Well, I'm imagining what feels like a compromising position and you try to still find a channel to correct the ship, but you can't because your boss isn't listening. And I'm like, okay, thinking to myself, was Ken Paxton even around? Because he's not his own trial. Maybe he wasn't even around at the office. There is definitely a moment where they were bringing up that some of the things that happened, especially towards the end before Mateer resigned, he was out of town. I mean, it sounds like unlegitimate business for the state, but he was out of town. And so they're all having to get together to f- discuss what in the world is going on. Now, of yeah. course, the way Busby characterizes it, it's like this backroom deal of people who have it in for Ken Paxton, who have this vendetta or the, you know agenda to take away his power. But again, what the broader context that we know from what Matir has testified is that they had been raising alarm bells about the actions that Kim Paxton was taking and they were being ignored and they were increasingly getting worried. They had been trying to protect him. They were still trying to protect him, but they were being shut down at every turn. And yeah, they were deeply concerned and again, worried that he was being blackmailed and that maybe they could give him a way out. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's wild. We'll see what what else comes about from his testimony. Do we know yet, Nicole, have you heard how many witnesses they're planning to? No, I know that first day when they swore witnesses in it, if I remember correctly, I think it was five to six people and the coverage I was watching didn't even name them. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I would imagine somebody somewhere knows exactly who those people were. But um, I don't know who they were. But so then the the theory I heard is that they'll, they'll swear people in sort of in groups. So this is the first group of witnesses. But no, I haven't heard. What I do know is that each side gets 24 hours of questioning. So you know, the clock is ticking down and we'll see how many witnesses that allows to be called, what that winds up looking like when it's all said and done. They get 24 hours total for all the witnesses? Yes. So they had 60 minutes in opening statements and then 24 hours each of questioning, 60 minutes for closing. And then I think that's it. Interesting. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. This makes me wonder though, how is it going to last four to six weeks? That's what it seems like. But you think about just opening statements. It, to me, it felt super long. I think because we forget that there's breaks that are taken in between. Um, And then when it's all said and done, the opening on the prosecution side, they only took 17 minutes of their 60. So actually they get to reclaim that time that they didn't use and add it to their 24 hours. Whereas the defense used, I think, 59 of their minutes. So they only get back one minute. So yes, somebody is having to keep track of all of this. And I don't envy that person that job either. 
Yeah, like they will stop watch. I know. Surely there's at least two people. I know I would be paranoid if that was my job. Okay. Wow. Well, this is interesting. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to, you know, the fact that Ken Paxton isn't in the courtroom. I wonder too how much that has to do with his wife being present. Like, how awkward is this trial going to get? Because there is. I don't think we have to say a legend. There is a mistress involved that I'm sure will come up in this trial. It already, that has, it to already be, has. Yeah. Like, real Apparently weird. they pulled some of the staff members aside to talk about it. Ken Paxton and Angela Paxton and talked about him repenting. There's just so much. It's, there's so much. And then I know that for a guy like Jeff Mateer, who's deeply conservative and is one of your very like family values, conservative kind of guys that it sounds as if he took a lot of relief in that confession and then the repentance, but then to see that that isn't actually the behavior that continued to happen moving forward. In other words, I think after the repentance, then they found out she was in Austin and had likely been employed by Nate Paul to make access to her easier than it was deeply disappointing again. So mm. he's seeing all sorts of behaviors that are raising alarm bells. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that spurs kind of one final thought that I've had recently with the impeachment, tri impeachment trial is that out of the six Republicans who voted to dismiss the charges altogether, one of those six was Donna Campbell the woman who had employed Ken Pax Paxson's mistress at a, at a previous time. So again, it's just very bizarre, you know, how, how deep and grooved in these relationships are. And you have to just wonder how much can you really put that relationship and baggage aside and consider the trial in front of you. I don't know how they do it. And I feel like it'd be very hard for me to do that. I, speechless. I'm speechless, right? All of the inner workings, which again, would not be exposed if not for this. I, yes. How could you be impartial? I, I know everybody will say that they're going to be, but I still don't know how you are. It's money. It's relationships. It's, there's just so many ties that are disturbing for me. It is. And this is, you know, a discussion for another day, but it just reminds me that it would be great if we had term limits on some of these offices because these folks have been at the Capitol for such a long time. And as that happens, yeah, those relationships deepen and those entanglements get more interconnected. And maybe if we had a healthy turnover, it wouldn't be the way it is now where everyone has like some connection to another person or money or past relationships. It's just like, this doesn't seem healthy. No, no. Oh my goodness. I know as the world turns, right? We'll just, we'll keep, keep our eyes on it. I will say this, you know, I've gotten so much housework done because I will leave it on, but I don't want to just sit and watch it. So I'll be like, okay, I'll fold clothes while I watch. Okay. I'll wipe this thing down while I watch it. So I, it is a good, if anybody's looking for activities to do while watching, you might find that it helps you get some chores done that you might not otherwise get done. There you go. Yeah. Multitask. Follow 
you know, democracy live and in action and get your chores done. I will say, <laughs> and also speaking of democracy live and in action, it really is fascinating to see how all of this stuff works. I could never be an attorney. I realize more and more I don't have the brain for it, but it is fascinating to watch how it works. We'll be staying tuned and let us know if these updates are helpful. We haven't really decided yet if we're going to commit to following this the whole way through, but maybe we will. Maybe it will be a good exercise for us and good information for our wonderful listeners to know what's happening here in Texas at the Capitol with this impeachment trial and the things that we'll learn about our state and democracy and our politicians, because a lot is coming out from this, um, from this historic event. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at our website, gobehindtheballot.com. Our newsletters are great because if you don't have time to listen to this episode, and we totally understand that, you can get awesome little takeaways about the things we discussed. And we try to make them fun and silly with our memes and photos and all that great stuff. So sign up for that. Leave us a review. Share the podcast with a friend. And stay tuned because we will be back next week. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.